Welcome to episode 105 of the Horror Dads podcast. You're joined by your Horror Dads, John and Jamie, as always. And today, we are here to talk about The King, aren't we, Jamie? We are. Stephen King, in fact. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I'm rev for this. This this was your prompt. This has been on the list. It's one of those daunting things like, renovate my bathroom. Like, I got to get yeah. to that someday. Yep. And uh, we didn't know how to do this service. So the route we're going on this specific episode is we're going to talk about 10 films uh, that, that are based off of Stephen King, either novels, novellas, uh, short stories. And this is not our favorite 10. This is not the best 10. This is 10 movies. And we tried to spread the love a little bit here and, and get some tried and true classics, some under, underrepresented ones, and some middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to use this mostly as uh, an excuse to watch some. Yeah. There are some, uh, some that I really love that I wanted to talk about because they're underrated. There's the ones that you can think of. We found out that there's over 60 movies yeah. and miniseries. It's and, crazy. Uh, and there's at least 15 that you could spout off just like that, right? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to kind of touch some of the off, off the radar ones. And then, of course, there's going to be some familiar ones. How can you not? But. Uh, yep. We, we kind of stayed away from the, the most obvious, uh, like The Shining. I don't think we, no. we did that one. And we're actually uh, a companion piece. We're going to do an episode over on Patreon. I think we're going to highlight uh, the five best Stephen King, what, what we feel are the best uh, films sure. that uh, came from his work. But before we do that, we always like to check in, uh, hang out a little bit here. So if the banter is not your thing... Feel free to jump down to the show notes. There will be timestamps if you want to get directly to our top, or our, I shouldn't say top 10, our 10 list of Stephen King uh, adapted uh, films. Without further ado, Jamie, what's been going on, man? You uh, been watching anything new lately? Yeah, so I, this is kind of crazy how I landed here. I started watching this show called, it's from the 70s, and it's called Kolchek, The Night Stalker. Very, very so familiar. This is, wait, are you familiar with this? Yeah. This, this was your first pass at this? Kolchak? I'm not trying to be like a dude. The show. I'm doing the like mean thing where it's like, oh, you never heard of yeah, but Joey Yeah, but I, I guess I'm shocked because I've never heard you discuss this. Yeah, it's, go ahead, share your thoughts. So it's like, you can definitely see that the X-Files would not exist without this show. Completely. This is like, yeah. to me what start this might be the first iteration of where i go like oh this is x-files but it's from a writer's perspective uh a news reporter's perspective it has the dad from a christmas story uh but needless to say i'm, I'm loving it it's a lot of fun it um i love the monster of the week feel because every week it's a different sort of supernatural oh yeah monster that's going on that only he really typically Almost every episode, only he knows that it really was a monster, and everyone else by the end is sold that it's just, you know, some sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, Cold Check, The Night Stalker, that's streaming on Peacock. I recommend checking that out if you're into 70s TV. Uh, and then I watched, oh, man, I finally did it. So, one of the most disturbing films in recent memory that came out, it seems, is uh, The House That Jack Built. By Lars von Trier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been kind of putting this off. I decided to watch it during work because I felt like if I'm not just me and the TV watching this, it you might be away. less disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Which I think it was. Like, I, at the end of it, I was like, it was a weird film. Uh, 
because Lars von Trier is kind of a weird filmmaker in a good way. Um, so it's not your standard A to B film. Uh, there's a lot of weird things going on in there and a lot of weird symbolism and imagery uh, and psychological discussion, which really ties into the psyche of a serial killer. And it's disturbing, don't get me wrong, but I feel like I've seen much more disturbing shit. I wouldn't watch it again. I'm not in any hurry. You've you've not seen that, right? No, I actually have no desire to check it out. But no, yeah. like, what would you say to me? I would say it's worth watching. If you text me, you'd say check it out. Like, if you're ever in a, we all go through phases of what we want to watch. If you ever go through like a serial killer, yeah. and and actually, it's a perfect time because you just got done with Dexter. Or you're doing Dexter, but yeah, I mean, again, if you're on the serial serial, if you're watching Ted Bunny movies or Jeffrey Dahmer. And you're kind of right in line. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I actually checked out. So we, we did last night a Patreon bonus episode as a companion piece. We have a a segment on there called never seen it. And we use that time to talk about obviously movies we've never seen. So for this month, we checked out children of the corn from 2023. So I'm going to did. I want to not spoil our thoughts on that, uh, but if you want to head over to Patreon, you can hear them comprehensively. But uh, yeah, that movie sucked. So here we go. Um, I also checked out, (laughs) my wife is really into, speaking of things that are upsetting generally to you and I, she's really into movies where deep trauma and unfortunate and uncomfortable things are happening. I don't don't really know why, Uh, but that's kind of her thing. And... What was the movie? Uh, Salt. Is it Saltburn? Ooh, yeah, Saltburn. Yeah. So I, th- this isn't horror. Have you seen? Are we getting to the fact that you've watched this? So she she has it on. That's her type of movie, dude. I think. Yeah. And I was like, Brittany, <laughs> totally your type of movie. What's going on here? And then I found myself sitting down. So I watched about like eighty percent of it. Uh, it's. I, I wouldn't say that it's my movie. It's yeah. not our type of thing, but it's really really well done. It's super smart. This is it's more along the lines of like an Ari Aster intellectual okay. sort of uh, delivery. Yeah. So it has so many important points about classism and all this other stuff. But uh, I checked out the majority of that. And I also, as you had mentioned, have been uh, catching up again on Dexter doing a full watch through. So I'm on season six right now. Just wrapping it up. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, Saltburn. One second to go back to this. I don't really not, want to talk about not it horror. Is it adjacent in any way? Yeah. It's it's definitely got elements of like, it has like a House of Usher sort of oh okay pulse and vibe and and kind of illustration to it. Yeah. But. From what I've seen of the, I haven't watched a trailer, but I've seen clips and stuff here and there, and it seems like uh, modern cruel intentions in some way. Dude, the whole like socialite. Okay, people so from like, money concept is so foreign to me. Yeah, that when I when I see it unfolding and happening, I'm like, I have no relationship to this other than what I continue to see on TV. This would be like you going to the Hamptons with your college roommate, yeah, exactly. and then like, being thrust into this underworld. Is that sort of is there you, an underworld involved in this, or is it just you, messed up people? It's just terrible, like terrible, terrible everyone. human beings. Yeah, but. Do you want to know what I did with my college roommate on Friday? Watched crappy horror films. We watched terrible horror movies. Yeah. We drank Miller Lite, and I think we played Mario, 
and uh, he came over to my house and hung out with my kids. You weren't so. banging people's moms and no, 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 no. three ways. This, this not not this weird peek behind the curtain. It's like I whoever's curtain that is, keep it in your house. It's not it's not my thing. You stay there, please. Yeah, just completely not my or our kind of thing. But yeah. So that's what we've been watching. What uh, nice. you've been buying anything, man? So I actually, you graciously gifted me a bag uh, for like the laptop and it was a work bag that your work had given you, but you already had a bag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that bag. So I use it all the time. When my wife was like, you're big in horror. You shouldn't be using this <laughs> bag that has a company name that you don't, that you don't work, work for. <laughs> my brother doesn't even work for it anymore. So she bought yeah. me this bag that you see here. It also is a laptop bag. It's got the different, it's that picture that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. It's like the knife, the machete, the, the different butcher knife. kill tools. Yeah. And then it's got the face of that killer that corresponds with the weapon on it. So it's a cool design and I love the bag. So nice, man. I, uh, so I picked up our buddy, Matty Tobin just did the new release for his faculty print. So I, I did pick one of those up. I saw that you ordered that through oh. the poor dad's email and I was jealous. So I did pick up the faculty print and my kids actually for Christmas, I, I forgot to mention this because it's the first time I've used it, but they bought me this horror movie review journal. Okay. You see this bad boy? Wow. Yeah. Drew me pictures on the inside and stuff here, man. Like, oh, man. Um, and what is the, so it's like, it's got a predetermined set of yeah. things you fill out for each film. And oddly enough, it's really comparable to like the notes I normally take. So it's got movie summary. Movie title, release date, director, synopsis, favorite quotes, favorite characters, what you rate it, subgenre, all that stuff. Dude. So I put this to use over the past uh, two weeks here as we've been watching some King films, and it's been great. That's rad. Yeah. I like that. I love it. What are you wearing over there, man? So I have my body count clothing. Shout out to them. We love them. Um, I got my Cam Crystal Lake counselor hoodie. It's gray. It's comfy as hell. I wear it too much. Dude, I love that. I've got. I've got the shorts and the tank top of what you have on right there. Yeah. We're in prime hoodie weather right now. Like, I'll wear a hoodie for the next 170 oh, days, not even think about it. Well, I have on, actually, my Stephen King Rules shirt, of course, mm. because that, Perfect. that's what I have to have on for this, uh, this prompt. All right, man. What, uh, what about family stuff? Anything cool you want to share on that? Prompt? Yeah. So my little one, the six-year-old, he's obsessed with football. We've talked about this a few times. I can't, now that we're so inside, obsessed. all we do is play inside football. Yep. Because the weather's, it's rainy, it's crappy outside. Like, we'll, we will go outside, but if we're inside now, we're, we're playing inside. But he, every time we're playing, we're, we're playing in my living room where my record player is, and he, ah, stop, makes me put on my chopping mall vinyl. Ah, oh, dude. So his, like, football theme music is chopping mall, and I love it. And he gets pumped up when I put it on. And uh, I, I think you were even over the one day where him and I were like, we were starting to play, like playing catch. And he's like, oh, wait a second. You need to, he's like over there trying to put the needle. And as, Which, a, as a dad with a collector of vinyl, you're dude, like, <gasps> my kids all, every time I put a record on, they're like, oh, I want to do it. And they're, and I'm like, no, no, you have to touch the side, touch the sides. Yeah, just get away. <laughs> we'll see how it turns out when he's uh, like, has a, like, I'm, I'm picturing him like his senior year of high school, like the star of the football team. And all the other kids are like, why do we have to listen to the Chopping Mall soundtrack before every game? Hey, your uh, hype tape really <laughs> is falling flat for the rest of the team. Yeah. No one's understanding why. We don't get it. 
So I I I don't have that story. I've got a pretty good one though because in the summer there were two reasons, three reasons I bought a PlayStation Five. Last of Us was proprietary to that system. Right. The other was I needed a 4K player, so I upgraded. And the last one was another proprietary game I really wanted to play with the kids was Stray. This, uh, it's basically this talking dogs. No, you're, it's uh, cats. That's that Stray's movie. Sorry. Like I said, it's talking dogs. <laughs> All right, so you're a stray cat. So you're a stray cat, and you're navigating this like post-apocalyptic world. Oh, wow. And it's somewhat dark and macabre feeling, but it's friendly enough. Okay. Like if you're five or four even, sure. that it won't scare you to the point where you won't be able to sleep. So my, my youngest, like, I, she was watching a, she was watching YouTube or something, and she was like, hey, uh, this game, and when I bought it, I immediately downloaded that game, thought the kids would be into it, and then it just didn't click, and it was like, all right, we'll try again later. Well, later is here, and uh, my youngest is like, dude, all in on it. She's just so adamant on making time in the day, like, hey, I did my homework, I did what, all the stuff uh, you yeah. asked, like, can we go to do Stray now? And she's just totally all in on it. So if, you, if you're a dad or a mom and your kids are somewhat into video games and you're looking for something to do together to keep both of your attention, uh, Stray's a good one. So a couple quick plugs, then we'll get into our episode. I do want to note that we have a Patreon. As I mentioned earlier, we have a $5 tier and a $10 tier. Would really appreciate any consideration of signing up. Tons of great bonus content on there. Dozens and dozens and, and dozens of uh, of bonus episodes. We do watch through episodes. We do never seen it episodes, as I had mentioned prior. And a uh, great way to support the show. We have a website, horrordads.com, if you're interested in uh, getting, getting some Horror Dads merch for yourself. Uh, we're heading into the spring here shortly. So we do have some tank tops and other different kind of merch on there. Please do consider following us on social media. We are on pretty much all platforms at horror dads but instagram really is our primary channel if you could please consider leaving us a five-star review that does go a super long way apple podcast spotify whatever your listening platform is five stars we appreciate it we love you back all right let's let's get into it so stephen king john man the i would say i know that we've made this stupid joke the king several times but as far as horror writing goes, there's really no one else that's been more influential on every horror writer in the past probably 30 years. Uh, when it comes to novels, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's really, really wild. Yep. I don't, like, who comes close? Like, Michael Crichton? I'm, uh, no, certainly not. <laughs> and I'm sure that there's a lot of people yelling right now, like, horror authors that are amazing, but, but yeah, they've been influenced by... To this by, scale yeah. and to this level and to this magnitude, like, I, I you know... I'm not even talking quality, but the balance between quality and quantity and longevity and the amount of adaptation, like all of this, the right, the, king, the scale the, is really uh, yeah. overwhelming when you just start looking into it. So he's got, what did we come up with? 75 books, 75 and 60 plus adaptations, at least 60 adaptations, film it's, and miniseries. It's pretty insane. He's sold over 400 million books. And you have people clamoring to make your stuff, you know, to adapt your books into film. He's worked with countless directors, countless writers helping adapt this stuff. It's it's pretty overwhelming. It's pretty cool. Uh, 
obviously you're going to have some stinkers. Not everything's going to be good. Not everything's going to be great, especially the adaptations because you're kind of putting it in someone's hands that you don't necessarily know which way it's going to go. Sometimes by the time it goes, it goes bad. You're it's too late, right? Like the movie's already like mid production. It's like yeah, all right, well yeah, yeah. And even just reading up on his upbringing has been really fascinating because he, so he was born out in I think in Maine, Portland, Maine, if I'm not mistaken. And his dad, I think, was like a some sort of appliance salesman of sorts. Went oh yeah, a vacuum salesman. His father was wow. a vacuum salesman. He uh, famously was addicted to cocaine for several years. Yeah, so he struggled through drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and whatnot. Like, and that too is a huge factor in so many of his stories. Yeah, like just the reality, right? I feel like his general ability to capture so many realistic elements of horror in his work is is really what differentiates him because he he talks about the stuff normally that people only think about. Sure, yeah. And there's so much internal dialogue in all of his stories and so much detail on things where it's like, no, we're, we're going to talk about the pretty stuff. We're going to talk about the stuff that makes everything look good and people can really relate to. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to the other side of the coin. And, and you feel as the reader so often like, ugh, this is so uncomfortable, but pretty realistic. Yeah, I was going to say, I, one of my favorite things about Stephen King is the way he writes relationships. Yeah, and they feel yeah. so real. Um, yeah. And the decisions that humans have to make sometimes in his his stories are they feel like real decisions, and you kind of uh, you can put yourself in there, which which makes something very relatable. And uh, I think that's why we all love Stephen King. But all right, let's get in, man. You want to? Yeah. Do you want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. All right. All right. So I'm again. I kind of ra- I definitely ranked these. But these aren't like my top five Stephen King films. These no, are just, no. um, I think what we did was what kind of popped off the top of my head. Yep. Oh, this movie definitely, like I had a couple that I said right off the bat. Um, and then I picked one classic favorite of mine that we've definitely talked about. Uh, and then two that I haven't seen in a while that I figured I would uh, kind of revisit. This gave me a reason to revisit. So this first one is The Dark Half from 1993. <laughs> Thad Beaumont has a secret. I know all about it. A piece of himself he keeps hidden. You just don't want to give up George. You become attached to him. Locked away until he needs it. These behaviors could be interpreted as schizophrenia. So this was the first book he wrote. It's either the last book he wrote before he got clean or the first book after he got clean. I'm not sure which one. I've seen contradictory reports on that. Uh, but either way, uh, there's obviously ties to uh, the battle with addiction kind of in this. But this is the story of a writer who is trying to drop his alter ego, his pen name, if you will, uh, to get his real name out there and have the success that his pen name has kind of cross over to himself. Uh, but as he does that, his alter ego decides, no, I'm not going to let this happen. Yep. So he starts fucking with him killing people that are close to him that have anything to do with this name change. Uh, and it's just like stuff that he might say out loud. Like I would, the, this guy might want you to get your, your penis cut off and shoved in your mouth. That ends up happening. Right. Yeah. As grotesque as that sounds, this is something that happens in the movie. Uh, so then maybe something that he wrote gets 
worked out in real life or somebody's killed in a horrific way. The effects are great. The characters are great. The acting is really good. The performances are really strong in this. And uh, I don't believe this was a made-for-TV film. This seems like it was a oh, feature. Oh, no, this feels very feature because of how, like, if it was made for TV, it was made for HBO because yeah. of how in there it is. And this was directed by the late and great George A. Romero. And uh, you can see him in this. It's really good. This is a really good one. Yeah. He directed it well. This is based on the novel from 1989. And, uh, yeah, I'm. this is my least favorite on this list probably. But this is a good one. I'm glad I revisited it. Yes, I, this is my first experience with it, and I thought the the way that uh, that it was shot, it definitely felt like a Romero film. The color scheme, even you know R- Romero's classic. Uh, I don't know if it's the Romero and King mashup or what, but that red and blue, yeah, like from like Creep Show. Yeah, that dichotomy yeah. filming style. That's definitely present here. It's not overwhelming like it is in Creepshow. And that's, by, by the way, not a criticism. I love that about uh, Creepshow. But you can see hints of that. You can see elements of that. And you're right, man. The, the delivery on this movie was so intense. This was one of those that was, like, really, really overwhelming. Uh, I feel like, you know, like, Brad Dorf is not in this movie. But I feel like this would be a perfect kind of movie for Brad Dorf to sure. be in. yeah. Yeah, and what I didn't realize is this actually came out around the same time that King was famously retiring his own pen name of Richard Bachman. So a lot of parallels with real life in this one. Um, but I love the those effects like at the end. As uh, so, the actual writer in this one was Thad Beaumont. That's uh, the Timothy Hutton. Yeah, yeah, Timothy yeah. Hutton, who's in this, he stars alongside Amy Madigan and Michael Rooker, who's amazing and everything. So. As the alter ego is like deteriorating towards the end, the different levels of grotesqueness, dude, it's just like you can feel it. Like the bandages get bloodier and more disgusting and yeah, stuff yeah. starts leaking and seeping and it's just really effective there towards the end. You're just like, please go away. I'm ready for you, the sparrows, to take your ass just as far away from here as you can go. Yeah, dude, I, I think this was such an interesting pick, an unknown one, underrepresented Great way to kind of kick things off. And again, George Romero. So huge name attached to that. Of course. All right. Great first pick, man. Uh, so my first pick, my number five is the It TV miniseries. Why are you guys anyway? We're sort of a club. Yeah, the Losers Club. You want in? Yeah, I do. Hey, we're seven now. Lucky seven. Yeah, this is growing as growing up as a child in the 90s. Nothing permeated my brain horror-wise probably as much as this at that time. Yeah. That view of Pennywise coming out of the sewer is like one of the first things I remember. It, I, I, as a kid, you're very into the outdoors, at least I was, exploring, throwing rocks in the creek. And that, that I remember watching that scene when Ben is down there throwing the rocks and stuff and yeah. then he sees his dad. Dude. His dad's talking to him and it's, I was like, I think I ran in. Come like on, my ben. dad was probably like yeah, doing like, bills or something and I like ran in there and 
Oh, dude, so scary. Them, yeah. So scary. Yeah, so this was, this came out in November of 1990 in the form of a TV miniseries, as I mentioned. And uh, it was, it's a three hour and 12 minute experience. So this is not like <sighs> yes. a... So you think of TV miniseries and you're like, oh, is that nine hours? And you think of a movie and you're like, oh, is that 90 minutes? And it's absolutely in between. So it's just over three hours. Uh, so it's a commitment. But this was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Wow, dude. We know and love from Halloween 3. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So we've got, you know, the story. And, and the book was written in September of 1986. Okay. It's a year many dear friends of ours uh, were born, and I think it, it's super interesting that this miniseries came out in 1990, just four years after the book was written. Because in my brain, I was like, this book was written in 1920, and this TV miniseries was made in 2000. But it yeah, was they come out quick, it seems. 86 and 90, like four years. So I found that interesting. But Yeah, I mean, Dark Half was 89 and 93, so yeah. they go quick. Yeah. So... The general synopsis of this movie, it's, it's, the reason I picked this movie first is because a huge, huge theme in so much Stephen King everything is predicated on the idea of time and how much like when you watch, I'm going to mention Columbo again here, much like when you watch an episode of Columbo, you find out immediately at the beginning of the show who the killer is and then you watch Columbo basically back into the parking spot to solve the crime that is a uh, a big mechanism that Stephen King uses in his his storytelling he'll manipulate time he'll give you tons of information up front that basically is information that occurs post story being done so the story in and of itself though flips between the 1960s and the 1980s so you've got in the 60s these seven friends they're all outcasts and they're working to fight this horrifying clown demon basically that kills children and then 30 years later they come together to pretty much try and put a put a nail in the coffin of this thing and and make sure it doesn't resurface again i remember so distinctly this VHS set. Do you? Oh, yeah, dude. Dude. It was like three. It was I think you had to flip each tape. I, one of those. My DVD of this, yes. I, I have to flip. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I just remember like the multi set VHS uh, rental. I watched this for the first time over at my Aunt Jan's house. And I remember sitting in my uncle's Lazy Boy, popping the, oh, yeah, the, dude. the foot thing up. He was like working late. But I, I remember that multi-stack VHS set, and I remember so distinctly the impact of, of Tim Curry. Like, he just was so yeah. incredible. His performance is, it's just exceptional. Then you've got this, like, he sounds like a pizza guy from Brooklyn in It, right? Yeah. And he's got this, like, ridiculous sound, this gravel, gravelly voice. He's got that poofing hair and this just horribly haunting like he it looks like he's able to make his own face melt but prior to any induction of cgi he looks like a a computer generated image it's crazy it is something just an incredible job and uh 
I love how you know we're weaving in and out of time throughout the entirety of the movie. It 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 really really works well, and that's why I love this version more so than what we got over the past you know ten years, and separating the children experience versus the adult experience because the movie the the book weaves in and out of that timeline like relentlessly and every every chapter every other chapter you're like okay i'm in i'm in the 80s i'm in the 60s i'm in the 80s i'm in the 60s yeah and this movie the reason or this mini series had the runway to be able to do this properly whereas if you're making a film and it's more than 2 hours you know, you have people breathing down your neck, like cut, 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 cut. No one's going to have this attention span, right? Right. So I love that they took the time to do it right here. Practical effects are great. Uh, backstory on every character, taking the time to focus on the characters. You see them as a collective unit in their friend group, and you also see them in isolation and how they're dealing with their traumas alone and how they're dealing with them collectively. It's impossible to talk about Stephen King and not mention miniseries because, again, yeah. growing up, that's kind of everything that he did. The reason for that, it, you're able to tell the story more completely than you would with a short feature, to your point. But the production always suffers a little bit because it's made for TV. It's just longer. It's more daunting, to your point. But yeah. the production always suffers just slightly. These features always just look amazing. Like It, chapter one is one of my most favorite horror films from recent memory because it's just, it looks amazing. It still tells the story in a, in a great way. It's the best part of the story to me, the kids. Yep. Uh, you kind of, one thing that always bothered me as a kid, as an adult, you get it. You need the adult segments of that story. Yeah. But as a kid, I always like, just get through this adult <laughs> BS and let me get to the, the kids, you know? Uh, I want to see what, what he I does with about, the slingshot. Yeah. And that's what I love about part one of the modern ones that we got, which, by Andy Muschietti, just amazing to me. This first one is just so good. We're watching it right now in the background. I love it. I love the imagery. I love the effects. The only thing that really suffers to me is Pennywise. It's rare for that to be nailed more in the 90s with no effects. But again, yeah. to your point, Tim Curry just killed it. So, But this is probably the best miniseries, the best done. Tommy Lee Wallace directing it kind of explains that. But this is a great miniseries. It still holds up even now. Again, it still has that made-for-TV feel. But phew, so good. The story was just represented so well. All right, man. You're number four. All right. So my number four is another one that I've watched very... I don't even know if I've ever seen it in full before. This is Riding the Bullet. Hey, thanks for the ride. Oh, not a problem, man. Where are you headed? I've got to see my mom in the hospital. What, is she sick? I honestly don't know what I'd do if I didn't have you. For a man who never escaped his past. Nothing is more dangerous than his future. All right, so this is from 2004, directed by our, our, not our, not our buddy, but somebody who probably would be our buddy, Mick Garris. This is based on the novella from March 14th, 2000. And this is, this is a little known fact. It was the first mass-released ebook. This was like... Really? Yeah, this was probably the way that, like, all right, we're going to do this thing. Like, when U2 was on, like, Apple <laughs> yeah. Music. This was probably like that. Like, let's get a megastar to make ebooks a thing. 
And so this was like the first like big famous ebook. We'll put it on TiVo. Yeah. And everyone's like, what? Yeah. This yeah. is uh, starring Jonathan Jackson, David Arquette, Erica Christensen. Uh, and this is about a college student who has to travel to see his mother uh, instead of going to see John Lennon with his friends in Toronto. They make a big deal about that. Yeah. Uh, he has to hitchhike to get there. <laughs> yeah. Along the way, he has some really creepy encounters with some people. Ends up hitching a, a ride with a dead man named George Staub, who he knows is dead because he crossed his gravestone earlier that day uh, walking through a cemetery. That is played by David Arquette, who picks him up, says his name's George Staub. Our main character knows that he's dead. And he has to face a terrifying choice at the end of this movie to save either his mother, who he's en route to, to see before she dies, uh, or himself. How much of the movie did you spend wondering if uh, Jonathan Jackson was right or strong? Yeah, you, you do wonder that for a while, but also, I don't know how this book is written. His character bothers the hell out of me. Yeah, and you can tell so many times through different King stories how, how, how much of these tales are, are linked to experience, like actual experience, whether they're his or one's experiences that he was ancillary to it's so interesting to see the way that he highlights and captures and wants to talk through and reflect on people managing really tough things this one starts off a little bit it starts off depressing gets a little bit fun and then gets weird um he's he's very like emo this guy yeah you do this is not a feel-good movie this our main character's pretty like goth emo some shit going on there uh he tries to kill himself inadvertently it's like he's having dude that yeah scene there's a trigger warning in this one is uh, so upsetting the way that it starts i i i actually forgot about the the onset of this movie but yeah he does it it starts with a suicide attempt and his girlfriend like kind of pushes him into that mentality and then is he thinks she's gonna break up with him with which i think she is but then she but Puts then the she guys does a like surprise, surprise party. party. Like, why? While he's Do there, sad, Ugh. thinking that he's going to be alone on his birthday, smoking a joint, starts having these fever dreams almost. In Probably tub. too hot in the tub, and now you're stoned. Blood level's a little thin. He starts having these dreams about killing himself. There's imagery on the walls and stuff of him killing himself. He's holding a razor blade. As she comes in to surprise him in the bathtub, which is weird. Why would you bust in on somebody in the bathroom to surprise him for a, a party? He could be doing anything in there, right? Uh, and he inadvertently slices his wrist with the blade, which is the worst way to like have people come into a party. Uh, then she kind of says, like, I still love you. I bought you tickets to this John Lennon concert in Toronto, but I can't go. I don't, still don't understand why she couldn't go. So then he talks his friends into who I love his friends. It almost reminds me of um, Idle Hands, his relationship with like Seth Green and that other dude. The one dude's the, the kid from um, yeah, the what, remake what of Friday the 13th. The one with the curly hair, like in the, in the, the big dude, the, like in the cornfield. The, I don't know what he like, says. You're just a pig fucker. Yeah, that, or that or one, yeah, he says, yeah. yeah. And he's the one, yeah, it, that's him, right? That, I, think, I think that is him. Yeah. And his girlfriend in this one, Jessica, she is the girl from Swim Fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's some good connections in here, some good actors. Again, great performances. Mick, I love Mick Garris. Like, his movies aren't perfect. No, but such a 90s feel and vibe to this. It's like, 
Detroit Rock City meets uh, disturbing behavior. There are so many elements of like those 90s kind of like emotive linked to music, linked to people like these feel like actual kids from the 90s. It was like, no, I'm not hiring you on what you can act, but on what you are. Right. (laughs) Kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. And this again, this took place during the 70s. So the Vietnam War was going on. That's why you had the army deserter. Just smoking weed and like wearing a wig and stuff. It's like, yeah, that dude was crazy. It almost a little bit of like, I'll be home for Christmas. Like that movie wouldn't exist. I I, honest to God did not want to bring this up, but I've been thinking about it this entire time because I was like, I think this might be the fourth episode in a row where I've mentioned this stupid movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. JTT. Yeah. Thank you for being the one to fall in that. I mean, it's there, dude. You can see it. Jesus. All right. But yeah. Riding the Bullet. This is also streaming for free on something. All right. I'm going to head to my number four. So my number four is the March 3rd, 1995 film, The Mangler. There's a little bit of me in that machine and a little bit of it in me. There was an accident today. The worst one I've ever seen. Have you considered the possibility that the machine might be haunted? Ooh, shit. I uh, I did not get to watch this one. So Ooh. I'm excited to see what you say. This is the original story for this film was published in 1972 as a short story in Cavalier magazine. Later was republished in 1978 in the Night Shift amalgamation of short stories and... This movie was directed by Toby Hooper. Wow, yeah, that's the uh, the reason I really wanted to watch this one, but I couldn't find it, and I just ran out of time. So we've got Robert England, we've got Ted Levine, who holy hell is the voice of Candy Cane, right? Also, and it puts the lotion on its skin, dude. Silence of the Lambs, Joyride, and would you fuck me? But he's our lead in this. And Ted is. Yes. Okay. So he's he's this like hard boiled cop, down Ooh. on his luck kind of kind of thing going on. Uh and then you've got a handful of other other folks, but what Ro- is Robert England? Oh, just just okay. wait. You're gonna hear all about him. <laughs> so thinking back to uh Cameron Rubik, who we got on the show, yes. right? So he wrote the Kill River series. Yeah. When we had Cameron Rubik, who's a writer and author on the show, he was basically talking about how the premise of his stories and the things he likes to write about are typically linked for him to real life. So he was saying like, Hey, you know, I, you know, I, I had a a period of time where I was working super early mornings on a golf course. And I started to like, as I was cutting grass day after day and spending time alone and thinking, I would think about a premise for a movie of someone that worked at a golf course, right? Similar form. Stephen King worked at an industrial laundromat uh, prior to gaining fame. So he was like in this environment and he knew what it was like in an industrial laundromat. Wow. So the setting in said laundromat is, do you remember the book Liddy (laughs) about the? No. Oh, come on, dude. I was really banking on you remembering this. So Liddy is this like really sad, upsetting story that you read in middle or high school about basically industrial revolution and in families working in environments that are really unsafe and basically getting mm. 
uh, lung cancer and other horrifying illnesses from production maintenance. And this movie is a mixture between like a Liddy sort of environment and uh, like Escape from New York. It's got this like huge dystopian vibe to it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so you've got this hard-boiled cop that feels like he would hail from seven, essentially, in this oddly dystopian kind of environment where you have this laundromat with these really creepy men that run it, and you have these women that support the like the infrastructure, they're the the labor that runs the show, and the they just treat them like absolute trash. It's like a horrifying thing to watch. It's really upsetting to see. You've got your, like, ringleader who's, like, walking up and down. He's, like, your drill sergeant, like, no, press more clothes. Like, just, ter- <laughs> like, terrible, <laughs> terrible, like, you'd never, ever want to work here, right? And uh, so simultaneously, it's touching on a bunch of, of different themes, like consumerism. Uh, there are elements of politics in this and sexism and all this stuff. It's it's takes on a lot like it's a big bite of the cake here that you have to chew all at once and you're navigating through this like as the viewer you're trying to understand like what am i watching is this supposed to be current day am i in like what country am i in what what is all of what's happening around me and and then simultaneously you have this hard-boiled detective so you're like this is another strange (laughs) dynamic and then enter robert england's character okay here we go do you remember the Mario movie with John Leguizamo in it from the 90s? Yeah, yeah. Really, really weird. Yes. And Dennis Hopper is the bad guy, <laughs> right? He's just like yeah. strangely sinister. It's like you're supposed to be Bowser and you're just a guy and are weird. Robert England in this movie is basically Dennis Hopper from the Mario movie. Okay. And he's this, like, he looks like he is fabricated of machine. And there's this whole sinister story about how there's this... Fabricated of machine. Yeah, like, he looks (laughs) like he's, like, made of parts. Like, scrap. Okay. Almost. And he's, like, limping around. He's got, like, just looks terrible. And his family owned this this industrial laundromat. And this industrial laundromat has this one piece of machinery that they refer to as the mangler, because if you get too close to it, it hurts you typically. And the mangler mangled him. That's why he needs a cane. Oh, gotcha. And it also killed his daughter. And he goes on and on, and he's like pining over this piece of machinery because it made his family wealthy. It built their legacy. And he has this like lackey that works for him. And he's like, but it killed your daughter, sir. And he's like, yeah, but it made the empire. And it's this whole like weird yeah. thing. So basically the premise of the story is that you have a worker who gets cut, bleeds on the machine. The machine tastes the blood and then wants more. Uh, also, this was filmed in parts of South Africa. Interestingly enough. Huh. I read this little thing here, too. I don't know. If this is intentional, probably Hadley Watson, the manufacturer of the Mangler. Each of those words, it's displayed right on the front. Each of those words have six letters in them. And there's a big six right underneath those words, which makes 666. All right, so that was your four? Yeah. All right, so we're going to go to my number three. Um, This is where, this actually, for this list, 
it's kind of tough for me to prioritize, but I'm going to go with uh, well, actually one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. This is Needful Things. Castle Rock Entertainment and Stephen King invite you to visit Castle Rock, Maine, a quiet little town whose population has just increased by one. Do you believe in the devil, Father? I guess I have to. You can't have one without the other. What's he look like? What the hell does he look like? May I take this opportunity to welcome you to Castle Rock on the good Lord's behalf? Why not? So this is, the movie came out in 1993 based on the 1991 novel. So this was a two-year separation. Uh, directed by Fraser C. Heston, starring Ed Harris, Bonnie Bedalia, J.T. Walsh, and Max von Sydow, uh, who you've seen in many things. Uh, this is a movie about a small town, which is just amazing town, Castle Rock. Leland Gaunt yep. of Akron, Ohio, opens a shop in the town of Castle Rock. It's very mysterious. Even when he's open, he's got the blinds like pulled. Right? You they can't talk see so much about Ohio in this movie. Yeah, they the do. Like multiple times. Akron. Yeah. Uh, and they always think, I didn't <laughs> want to like mention that, but yeah, they do do that. Yeah. Uh, he offers, so his shop is just a shop of kind of like obscure, weird, you know, artifacts and like goods. And like, he, as a watcher of this, I think like there's nothing in the shop I would want or need. But as, as you walk by, if you're in the town, there's always like one item kind of glowing with like a soft light or like a bright light shining on it that attracts you, that like you want, that you need. You feel like you need. Uh, So he offers these goods to the townspeople that they think they need, but they can't afford, right? Like there's like a Mickey Mantle baseball card that we're going to talk about here in a second. I can't wait to talk about it. It's signed to Brian. Uh, It's like, I wouldn't be able to afford this probably when I'm 60 and I'm like a 12-year-old kid, so there's no way I can afford this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what he does is he says, like, how much money do you have? I will take that money, and then you can pay the rest by doing me a favor, uh, doing a prank on another townsperson. No one's going to get hurt. It'll just be a harmless, fun little prank. Uh, this is how he sells it. These pranks lead to infighting and the inevitable destruction of every town this guy's ever been to and opened a shop in. As you find, this has gone back hundreds of years. Uh, but not in my fucking Castle Rock, Leland. <laughs> Ed Harris, if he has something to say about it, it's not going to happen. He's got a beautiful fiance, Polly. And the, I love this town. I love the, the people. They all so different and so weird. They all have their own idiosyncrasies. But again, they're written well. You have the farmers with the pigs. And you have the very uh, kind of shy, reserved uh, girl who works at the coffee shop or diner the diner she's yeah. got the dog that's like her only like good friend uh Polly runs the diner you have the shady car salesman who kind of also runs the town yep uh dealing with the finances the petty cash yeah. he's blowing it yeah. on <laughs> yeah. gambling with horses there's just this whole fun thing going on and as the pranks start going and they he has everyone turning on each other you have one person doing a prank who had has nothing to even necessarily do with the person they're pulling the prank on, but they have a hang up with another person in the town. So they automatically assume that that person pulled the prank on them, which leads to infighting just throughout. And you find out this is an old hat for this dude. This is what he does to every town he goes to. 
And uh, again, they're not going to let this happen in their town. Ed Harris is just too badass to let that happen. Ed Harris in this movie, yeah, is awesome. He is great, dude. And he's such a. You look at him and his character, and you're like, like if if I had a really good friend I went to college with who's like, hey, have you met my husband? And that's him. I'm like, this guy sucks. Like, please don't tell me that <laughs> that's the person you're relying on for emotional companionship. Yeah, and. Which is cool, though, because that's his arc, you know, like he's clearly a two dimensional character. He has his traumatic backstory of coming from the big market of Chicago. Yeah. And being sheriff in a rural town that's quiet. And he has his baggage. He has his own trauma. And he wants to marry Pe- what's Peggy. Polly. 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 Yep. And so his 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 as you mentioned, his beautiful fiance, Polly. The way he proposes to her mid diner and he's like kind of like basically asking for a cup of coffee, but he's asking for marriage. Like a turkey on rye. Dude, this is again one of my favorites. I couldn't believe yeah. you hadn't seen this one. No, yeah. Um, yeah this is great. And I read on IMDB there's a lot of connections in this one. Um Sheriff Ed Harris plays Sheriff Alan Pangborn. That's the same sheriff that Michael Rooker played in the dark half. Yeah. Uh, Castle Rock. Castle Rock's like also, yes. so many things. Castle Rock, it says here was from The Dead Zone, which is another one that I just love. Uh, Cujo and The Dark Half and also Stand By Me. So yeah. a lot of connections to other books, which I love. Stephen King always does that. The Town in this, right? So good. Love it. He's really, really good. I mentioned this with the relationships. He's really good at doing that thing where you take a small town, an idyllic town, even The Mist, um, just like a small community. Turning it upside like down. And that make, house that they're in in the midst in the beginning. Yeah. Ama- it, amazing. But yeah, this one, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people probably have not seen this one. Um, this is streaming right now on YouTube. Really good quality. It's like a 4K yeah. upscale. It looks great for being a YouTube. I watched it on my yeah. TV with surround sound and it was great. And I think it's what, two hours just around there? Yeah, it's a long one. I mean, but it's, it never the feels, are, the pacing yeah. is perfect on this one. It never feels too long because everything that's happening is connected in it. You're, you're kind of waiting to see what happens next, right? You have the, the dude kicking the jukebox and the, don't tell my heart. That's don't tell like, my heart. Uh, the, <laughs> our, our buddy from, from Gremlins who's like, ah, oh, he's foreign cars. Can't, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. it's foreign. Yeah. It's, it's that same type of character, right? And then he's walking home because he, he gets thrown out of the bar. Hey, someone give Big Ed a ride home or whatever, and he ends Buster. up Buster. Yeah, Buster. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Buster, look, this, again, I, I keep talking about the performances in these movies, but so good. He is so good. Like, when he's smoking a cigar and he's got that, uh, the game that Leland Galt sold him, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. horse yeah. track, and yeah. he's smoking a cigar and he's touching the horses with their names. Dude, so good. He's unhinged. It's perfect. Uh, the deputy? Ed Harris's deputy? Yeah, yeah. Who's like writing all the tickets yeah, to Buster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who that is? No. He is the reverend from Deadwood. That crazy reverend. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, dude. He was also in Sons of Anarchy. In one of the seasons, he's like a crazy detective that's bound to. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That guy's great. Yeah. He's really good. Like the acting was really good in this. They had some uh, powerhouse actors. This is a great movie. Uh, they had a. It was never released to DVD, and so or Blu-ray, whatever. I don't think it was on DVD at all. 
and it just came out this past year on Blu-ray. Really good features. Like I'm, I've actually been thinking about buying it because it looks great, but yeah, it's a little bit pricey, but it it looks like it would be worth it. You Man. get the theatrical version and the TV version. So yeah, that is again that was Needful Things. That was from 1993. Could not recommend this enough. All right, man. So my number three is the TV miniseries from 1979. November 17th, 1979. This aired Salem's Lot. Oh. Ben Mears has been away too long. And now at last, he's come home. The men fought at Valley Forge. Daddy, come back home to the childhood memories, to the old familiar faces, to a life unmolested by time. And with your saints, let him rejoice in your presence forever. We ask it through Christ our Lord, amen. Home to Salem's Lot, a town too good to be true. What was that? Did you happen to notice the time when the boys left? We shouldn't have gone through the woods. It's a shortcut. They should have been here half an hour ago. Wait, Danny, wait! Something is happening. Hell yeah, man. Felt weird doing this, but back-to-back, Toby Hooper direction. David Soul, James Mason, Lance Kerwin. Got a story about a novelist and a, kind of like a young, I guess, a horror fan. And they, in tandem, as a duo, attempt to save this small New England town, which has been invaded by vampires so without one doubt this is my favorite stephen king novel so i i couldn't not talk about it here right from the rip where as i mentioned with it we're shown essentially the outcome of the story so we're being introduced to the end and you see the story unfold to get to that point, essentially. So you're brought right in. You see a man and a kid. They're going through this clearly uh, religiously inspired internal discourse about how to approach life and how to feel about things. And you're like, oh, this is weird. What's this all about? Something precipitated to us being here, and a lot must have happened to bring us here. So, like, what is that? And then that's the story. And I, I, just, I love how he does that so incredibly well. I mentioned the Columbo thing earlier where it's like, oh, you see the murder and then you watch him solve it. Like that is such a Stephen King storytelling delivery mechanism. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. Um, so, but the vibe, the pulse, you've got this strong, confident, central character in Ben Mears who's returning home and he's kind of like, the shepherd to bring us through events right so he's like in this small town but he's a man of the world he's this published successful author he's been in the big city and now he's coming back to work on a project and wants to do this project on the the marston house right so we've got the marston house and this idea of um estate novels are you familiar with this term no okay so like estate novels is this like sub genre of literature almost where you focus on a time not necessarily time but a place being almost a character so you think of like 
things like Fall of the House of Usher, you think of things that have these like really dominant central uh, um, stories that are linked to a specific location. And the estate is almost a character and the estate is almost a, uh, a disruptor to the story or a contributor to the story. And Stephen King does that time and time again with so totally. many of his works. Rose Red. Yeah. Dude, Rose Red, uh, even it, the town of Derry is what's yeah, in the house houses the evil yeah. right and it's 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 a character in and of itself and i love that in this movie like this marston house is kind of like the MacGuffin, and it's the point the central point that really kind of like motivates and turns the story and causes all these things yeah, to happen. definitely so right off the, right off the get though he comes into town you're like oh i I'm in this podunk town. I've got this confident, handsome central character who's been successful, and now he's sparking a quick romance now. He's got this girl he's clearly into, and you want that to work out, and you're like, you start to feel, like, when I watch this movie, I'm like, do I, where do I buy a condo in this town, and I'll work at that, that, that shop for $5 an hour, and, like, where, how do I start my life here? You're just, I'm in. It's, whenever I read or watch, watch Salem's Lot, I'm like, I'm in. I'm yeah. completely in. In this town, we have newcomers. We have people having affairs. <laughs> like that horrible experience with uh, the, this creepy-ass real estate dude who's hooking up with this girl whose husband's clearly horribly oh mentally God, unstable yeah. and a terrible uh, person to be near and be around. And you've got missing kids. And then ultimately you have vampires, right? What I love about this this story is that it's not as emotionally complex as some of the other work, and it's just kind of a ride that you can jump into. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie. This is one of my favorite representations of a vampire as well with Barlow. You know, the classic two teeth. Dude. Like what we do in the shadows, that vampire Peter. wouldn't exist. Peter wouldn't exist without <laughs> yeah. Barlow, right? Like that's... There was another miniseries came out in the 1997 or something with Rob Lowe, Salem's Lot, another. I found that in my research and I was like, wait, what the fuck? What is that this? one? I'll never watch. Uh, Rob I don't. Lowe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't want it. I don't need it. Uh, but I do love. I love Salem's Lot Part Two. Where they're born Michael Salem's Moriarty. Lot. Yeah, I, I love that. It, it probably doesn't hurt that I love uh, Larry, you know. So, Larry Cohen. Yep. All right, man. Let's head to your number two. All right. Who made who? Oh, getting in. We're going to maximum fucking overdrive. Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. What in the dick is going on around here? A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. 1986. This is my uh, classic that we talked about a little too much, uh, or we've talked about enough. But I want to talk about it again because I love this movie. I have such fond memories of me and my cousins. We would hang out in Mercer, PA, where they all lived. And when I grew up, 
uh, we would go there a lot when I was a kid and they would kind of, their parents weren't as strict with what we would watch and they would put this on almost every time we would go there. My cousin's Corey and Shane and we would watch it like at their, uh, grandpa's house, my uncle, and we would all watch this and every time we were together and we would sing the songs, Hell's Bells, we loved ACDC because of this movie. Yeah. We all loved Emilio Estevez. Uh, because we love like young guns and movies like that. And uh, just like we, this was one of those movies we knew the lines to and we would watch too much. And I just bought this on Blu-ray not long ago. It feels amazing to have. The special features are great. I love this movie so much. Stephen King, speaking of cocaine, Stephen King wrote and directed this, famously said that he was just like like on a cocaine bender the entire time for the production. Uh, he also said that it was a real hard knock lesson for him and made him realize he didn't want to direct uh, ever again. Uh, again, ACDC, the, the Who Made Who album is essentially the soundtrack for this, which is just, it, I couldn't see this movie without ACDC, right? Like just even just the parts where it's just like the drum beat and it's like the trucks and the gas station revving up. It's just so good. So the whole point of this movie is there's a comet going over overhead that lasts eight days they give you a little the like star wars text at the beginning kind of explaining what's (laughs) going on uh there's this comet going overhead this movie takes place in wilmington north carolina at this like uh truck stop dixie boy truck stop yeah (laughs) uh which feels like every truck stop in like middle america we we where we live we are surrounded by truck stops you because we're right off route 80 so you see all that that imagery just permeates our society, so it, it's uh, it resonates with us. But machinery is just going haywire because of this comet. Anything machinery, anything with an engine, is just going like now has a mind of its own for some reason. Uh, lawnmowers, you see all these clips of lawnmowers running people over, and there's a soda machine at the baseball field just spitting pop cans out that nobody runs to the left or right for some reason. They all just stay in the trajectory of these pop cans. Uh, but it's stuff like that, right? Like and there's the like ATM. a ATM you, at the very you, the first scene we like, see, yeah. I think, is that it, it. And that's him, right? Stephen King. It is Stephen yeah. King. The first like face we see is his. And also, I couldn't help but think of the X Files episode, dude. With the, uh, I, yeah, I, I know exactly where you're heading right here. Uh, but just all of this culminates to this gas, this truck stop gas station. Uh, where we have a great cast of characters and more characters showing up because as you're being, you know, just like everywhere you go, stuff is haywire and crazy. Traffic lights are going off, so people are crashing and, right, just like everything. Uh, toasters are malfunctioning and, like, electric knives are cutting people and anything you can think of that could take on a mind of its own is doing that and it's, it's doing it in a detrimental way to people. So we all get to this gas station that is owned by this man named Hendershot. I don't know that he has, has another name. He's <laughs> yeah. definitely a skis ball. Like he's got like a, a basement full of ammunition and illegal weapons. It, you just uh, know this guy's like, he, he's of the ilk where it's like, I will do dude, whatever necessary. Shady as hell. Yeah. And he's got yeah. that sweaty sidekick uh, <laughs> that does anything he, he wants. Uh, but Emilio Estevez, of course, is the star of this movie. He's cool as hell. Yeah. He's just like, he's got like the earring, which in the 80s was like, that's cool, you know? Yeah, because you know, like everyone's parents was like, oh, Jesus. Yes. 
Now, now I have to, now my kid Kevin's going to want another yeah. earring. Goddamn yeah. Emilio. Yep. Uh, but the, to your point of the estate horror or estate novel. Yeah. What did you call it? Estate this, novel. Yeah. This fucking Dixie Boy truck stop is the estate. A, a main character. <laughs> yeah. And when um, our guy walks in from the beginning with the truck, the goblin, the green goblin. Green goblin. Yeah. He pulls in with the green goblin. And the other guys are like, would you take a look at that? He rolls in. He's like, you like that? He goes in. Now, his entry into the truck stop is our first time going in. So we go in with him. And it's amazing. You go in. You see, like, the little arcade in the corner. You see the cigarette stand and stuff. And then the, the yeah. people that are in there that you're going to be spending the rest of this movie with. Dude, I, I love this movie. I know it's not a perfect movie. I know it was done weird. I kind of like the weird, wonky direction. Like, I love the point of view from the truck, the different POV shots we get. I love the music again. Emilio Estevez has famously said this is the one movie he regrets making. I say curse you, Emilio. I guess Stephen King has apologized to him throughout the years. Like when you'll see him somewhere in an event, he'll be like, yeah, sorry again about that. Uh, so I kind of love that. Didn't mean to. Uh... Emilio's relationship with Brett, the very attractive female that he meets and they flirt, culminates in a love scene. Where, oddly, I don't know if you noticed this, he does this thing where he's, like, he, like, wipes her sweat off her forehead and then, like, licks it. Dude. What in the actual hell is that? You know that prior to, someone <laughs> was having a conversation with someone what? where they're like, all right, listen, it's going to feel weird, but the purpose behind this is dot, 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 and that dot, dot, dot <laughs> will never, we're, we're never going to know. I've been married to my wife for 12 years. I'm not licking not sweat off her fucking Not ever. <laughs> Oh my god! And they and like sweat is also a main character in this movie. Like everyone is just it, sweating dude, it, profusely. I only watch this movie during the summer because it feels <laughs> so hot, yeah. so hot. But I love this movie. I love the pacing. I love the the way that it goes. Um, you have the sewer escape, which I love. Yeah, the, it's, it's weird because I I do like. There's an obvious point to this movie, right? And yeah. it's it's not. There's no like. There's depth to what leads into this but what you see is what you get like if if you've not seen this movie and you know about it you pretty much know like the purpose and what you learn you already know right yeah which is so ironic because as such a deep and compelling and thoughtful and intrinsic and like all the adjectives for Stephen King like this is his directorial debut so yeah. he had his moment behind the camera and he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell this story. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I don't, I'm not saying I don't love this movie. This is actually like one of my top three on this entire 10. Sure. I, I love this movie dearly, but it's just so interesting. Like that this was the movie he chose to use his directorial. Yeah. First pass at. This and, is based on his 1973 uh, short story trucks that was published in Cavalier magazine. Yeah. And it, but this is so, it's so Stephen King in so many different ways. Like clearly the man loves music. There are so many song lyrics in all of his, all of his writing. Uh, it's great that he got ACDC basically engaged to like make a, make a soundtrack for a film. It's yeah. like, Hey, no, we don't need you for a score. We, we want you to write like 10 songs for this. They only wrote movie. only two of their songs, I think, were originally for, for this. For and the, then they or used, this specifically. Yeah. Yes. But then they used, they put those on the Who Made Who album, and that, yeah. that whole album became the, but yeah. Which is amazing. Like, such a cool thing. And you got to think, like, if you could, 
engage like being a, a person that works in the creative space and being able to say all right uh well i'm just gonna ask my like one of my favorite bands if they want to yeah make the music for this like just think of that a cop that's such a cool thing honestly i feel like this movie i wouldn't like it as much without acdc you know no it is it is that kind of it like it's that brash like really in that the whole culture of this movie really is like don't don't look too deep it's it is what it is like it's yeah technology is taking don't over think us too hard good. yeah and we're we're literally all trying to survive it that's the extent of it and dude i i i'm i'm all in on maximum overdrive i love the way it feels i love the way it looks i love the acting i love, love it the simplicity of the story i love one of my favorite parts too is that like pumping gas montage because they do the morse code <laughs> yeah, like yeah. feed us gas <laughs> and they have this like there's like oh i can't pump for one more second yeah, yeah. Like, here let me relieve you like i love i just love all that dude it's so ridiculous but they the way that they act it out it feels real right it feels like it, you have to do that the scene you were talking about at the baseball field with the the soda can shooting out mm-hmm. when i rewatched this this week i just i was laughing so hysterically thinking of like just, just move, move to the move, left move out of the way a little bit <laughs> god so so funny so fun so i love good. it yeah yeah we we would be remiss not to mention this on this Dude, list yeah so good maximum right. overdrive all right i'm gonna take us to a completely different route Let's do it which is the the greatness of this list so my number two is the film in the tall grass did you hear that? Someone out there? Help me! Help me! Cal? Becky! came out October 4th. The film did uh, October 4th, 2019. The original novella was written by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. Yep. Uh, and it was published in Esquire magazine back in 2012. Movie was directed by Vincenzo Natale. And this is a very deep, complicated, and emotional movie. This is wild. The complete antithesis quite frankly, of Maximum Overdrive. Like, Maximum Overdrive says a lot about the human condition, but this is really, it feels like you're in someone's brain when you watch this movie. Yeah. So our general premise here is uh, you've got this, this duo of brother and sister who I thought were husband and wife because of their relationship uh, who are on a road trip, and they stop, and they hear a young, uh, like a, a voice of a child crying for help and you've got the brother and sister as i mentioned who walk into this like really tall cornfield cornfield like tall grass kind yeah. of like it was a tall grassy field yeah this tall grassy <laughs> midwest kind of environment uh, i think they're in oklahoma i was wondering where they were i, I know they're on their way to san diego to but i wasn't yeah. sure yeah so they, they go into this really, really tall grass. They're in there, and the intent is to try and find this boy that they think that they hear. And basically, they have no way out. And there's something super evil in this grass that they can't get out of. 
Uh, so we've got Avery uh, Witted. We've got Patrick Wilson, the Patrick Wilson. Mm. We have uh, Layla de Oliveira. And this movie is really well acted, I thought. I thought it was really stunning. Like, it looked incredibly pretty. It was well directed. I thought this didn't feel like a traditional kind of Stephen King. I mean, most Stephen King stories, as we have alluded to, that aren't remakes kind of came out within earshot of when the the initial story happened. Yeah. So because this was written in 2012, it was a short story for it to happen, you know, seven, eight years later is not, I guess, that that terribly uncommon. Uh, but I just, this had a, a different aesthetic that I thought was a little elevated and more, more uh, artistic, I guess, than the typical filming style. As I mentioned, it's a very emotionally complex tale. So we've got a lot to unpack here. Uh, the two main characters, Cal and Becky, as, as I alluded to earlier, are, are brother and sister. Jamie, you mentioned they're traveling to California. And what you find out through the course of the story is, you know, Becky is pregnant and they're going to California so she can essentially have the baby. She's, I think, two, three months away from uh, the due date. And she's going to travel to California. There's a family there that wants the baby. She's going to have it leave the child with a new family and go home. Give it up for adoption. Yep. Yep. So, but immediately knowing that Becky's pregnant, I don't know about you. Maybe this is just the horror dad thing, but I was like, I, I was instantly emotionally attached and I was like, all right, she has to survive. I want to see some sort of happiness result from this experience. Uh, So you've, you've got that instant emotional investment time and sequence again. Stephen King manipulating the hell out of that. That is such a factor in this movie. You don't know how long they've been in this tall grass. You don't know who is good. You don't know who is bad. You don't know the order in in which things are happening. Are you talking to a ghost? Are you talking to a premonition? Are you like you don't know when the characters even are talking amongst themselves? Should I touch the rock? Yeah, I don't know. We're gonna get to that rock in a second here because (laughs) that thing creeps the hell out of me. so we're following me, uh, multiple people like Cal and Becky are our point of entry into the story. But then you're following multiple people's different storylines and sure. everyone has their priority. And each time someone comes in, you're like, all right, well, I'm rooting for you. Like, I hope this works out. The only people that you don't really see at the onset you're introduced to Patrick Wilson. You got a bad vibe about this dude right away, which it's the is- mustache. Great for him because he's typically that like yeah like if Patrick Wilson knocked on my door and said like hey uh I'm a traveling babysitter can I just come in <laughs> hang out with your kids for two hours you go run your errands I'd be like you know Pat yeah. sure dude you look trustworthy <laughs> not like different role for him which I thought was super cool and I th- I thought I mean he plays it well man I thought he crushed it in this that movie. guy's great yeah uh so we have that going on we have Travis who's Becky's ex who's the father of the baby who's got he wanted her to get an abortion yeah so yeah. there's that whole uh complexity and you've got Patrick Wilson as I mentioned and the then creepy you brother the, Cal. Cal what is going on there it's like the line he's where he's in he love says, with like, her at some point I, well you don't, and you don't know like is that Travis's uh, manipulation yeah you don't know who you're supporting yeah. or what's going on so, and then 
to what you said though, you've got this like alien beehive nucleus crusty rock thing in the middle of this huge field, which is the only like actual uh, non grassy thing. I think Joe Hill's presence in this, looking at things like black foam, I think he's who kind of adds that additional layer of almost like an Oz Perkins meets Stephen King sort of thing, right? There's that like dark emotional not that Stephen King isn't that way, but it just feels a little bit different. Yeah, also Vincenzo also directed Cube. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a perfect director for this. Stylistically, uh, yeah. There's a lot of <clears throat> the characters in this, dude. Like Tobin, the kid. <laughs> yeah. He is such a distinct-looking kid, and there's times where you just want to slap him across the, the, <laughs> the grass because you think he's, again, I'm not don't want to spoil anything here because this is a really good movie that people should watch if they haven't. Uh, but there's times where you just, like you said, you don't know who's good, who's bad. You find yourself rooting for people and I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not rooting for you or I hate you. And then like, well, maybe I don't, you know, the, there's so much of that and there's so much of the time manipulation. Uh, like one thing I noticed this time around is it's muddy when they first go in and it's like, why oh, would it be dude, muddy? Like yeah. it's been sunny for, you can tell it's been sunny for days. Uh, and it's muddy. An hour later, we start seeing a rainstorm, and it's like, well, wait, now it's raining. You know, to and that time manipulation yeah. is so wild in this. Yeah, the kid in this reminds me of the kid from uh the Texas Chainsaw remake. Oh yeah, Grandma. I could see that? Yeah, Grandma. It might be yeah. the same kid. He's got a real like look. This was a straight to Netflix. Not in a bad way. This was a yeah. Netflix exclusive. Yeah. And I remember it first coming out, I had a couple, like, Friday night, long week, all right, I'm going to watch this sort of thing happening, and I fell asleep, like, twice. And I didn't write it off, but I was, like, not eager to revisit. And then at some point, I, I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, man, this is great. Yeah. And then when this prompt came up, you know, we were making our list, I was like, oh, this has got to be on there. Yeah, great one. A lot of runway departure. I didn't read the original story, but I assume, you know, this is far more complex than a 12-page story that would reside in a magazine. Yeah. So I, I think it's cool that they assembled a team that was able to represent the, you know, how comprehensive the vision was. And do it well. Yeah. I think this one probably lost a lot of audience just because of how weird it is. There's a lot of people that just, if you go in for yeah. a cut-and-dry movie, this isn't that, right? This is a... Not at all. Way more complex and thinking... Yeah. Um, and it's going to play with you and then challenge you as a viewer. So a lot of people, not to say people are simple, but sometimes people just want, let's watch a cut and dry movie. Um, and then it's like, oh, I didn't know I was going to have to do this with my brain, but this is a great one. Yeah. Something more, more direct, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So that is my number two in the tall grass. So Jamie, you're number one, man. Where All are right. you heading? My number one was another miniseries. I think this was from, uh, this aired on TNT, Storm of the Century. Give me what I want and I'll go away. From Stephen King, the master of your worst fears, comes a high-voltage, spine-tingling shocker that's been called one of the best King films ever. You wouldn't think there was a big storm coming, would you? Trouble don't cross the reach, ain't that why we live here? Still, they say this one's gonna be something special. A small island off the coast of Maine. Is Ooh, the show, yeah. 1999. Yeah, it was a miniseries, three-part. Uh, this is, dude, 
this started, this came to Hulu, I think last year. And this is one of those movies where, again, you see stuff, you kind of forget about it as a kid or whatever. You don't even really think about it again. And then you see it streaming. You're like, oh my God, yeah, that. This is a staple for me. I love this movie. It is perfect for this time of year. It's a winter film through and through. Uh, this touches all the hallmarks for me of Stephen King, dude. It's the small town vibe. This takes place on an island, little tall island off of Maine. Uh, it's about a small town of people that are actively preparing for this like once in a lifetime storm that's supposed to be hitting. Uh, but as if you live in any sort of like water based town, you hear that every year, right? Uh, or northeast, northwest, wherever you get big snowfalls, I'm sure that you're always hearing like this is the big one. You haven't seen one like this, and everyone's like, sure. Uh, so you have people preparing for this. The the grocery store, which we always talk about, how much we love grocery stores. I love Dude, this grocery store. I'll work there tonight. Yeah. And yeah. it like it doubles for other things, right? Like I think the town constable has his office there. And yeah, he also yeah. works there, and like multiple people work there as well as doing other duties throughout the town. So I love that. I love the the relationship that everybody has. It's kind of like everyone's helping each other always. Um, uh, and as this is happening, as this this like rabid prep is happening, meat's getting scooped up left and right. Like there's like nothing left. This was like uh, early days of COVID kind of yeah, thing, like yeah, people yeah. prepping. Yeah, yeah. We run into a murder. Uh, the nice old woman at the end of the street is murdered by a man. He's still in the house that he murdered her in. No one can really understand why he was murdered. He was found by, she was found by a, a teenage boy outside practicing basketball, notices that the old woman's door is left open, so he goes in. She's dead. He encounters this man with a cane, with a creepy, like, wolf head on it. Yeah. Uh, so he goes and he starts telling, this is where everything starts going to shit. The town constable, who's Tim Daly from Wings, for some reason, the two actors from Wings are always in these Stephen King movies. The Shining. Re- and they uh, kill it yeah, all the time. Yeah. Like, there's, like, Tim yeah. Daly is so good in this. And uh, so he goes there, they're scared, they, they find this man, who they then take to the town, to the grocery store, where the jail cell is as well. Uh, they take him there. His name is Andre Linoge. This man, as they, they have no choice, because he can rig things, so they can't just take him into the jail cell. They have to walk him through uh, the grocery store where everybody is, and this is where we start seeing like there's something very nefarious with this man outside of the fact that he just murdered a poor old woman. He starts talking to the people that he sees in there, and he's telling them dark secrets about themselves yeah. that he knows and is exposing it to the town. Oh, you were going to, you had an abortion. You look amazing. Uh, while her boyfriend's standing right there who had no idea. Oh, you sell pot. Uh, and then everyone's like, yep. what? You know, it's all these different things. And now this is where everyone kind of realizes something's effed up. He tells them he has a thing that they need to do for him. Uh, but he won't tell them what it is until he gets everyone like peak panic. He's has people killing each other. He's causing all this chaos. Only then does he tell them what it is that he wants, which is one of their kids. There's eight kids on this island, which you see, like, they, they uh, give you all of this, like, in great detail before that. Like, you see the daycare, and you see the kids, and you see the, the caretaker who's amazing, and just, like, the connection to everybody and the kids. And then he asks, 
he says like, you have to give me one of the kids or I'll kill all the kids. Um, and again, you're forced with this terrible decision. What, what do you do here? There's so much in between. I made it very cut and dry, but I mean, it's a packed, oh my God. packed story. These miniseries are tough to yeah. summarize in one. I mean, that honestly, great summary, though, because I think vibe, I think uh, general culture, I think there's a little bit of needful things, yes. bad guy, conductor, calling the shots sort of thing happening Very here. Very similar vibe. You, you know, in um, uh, 30, 30 Days of Night, in the beginning... When the initial vampire comes in, he's in captivity. They put put him in the holding cell and whatnot. And you can tell he knows something more than everybody else. Yes. And he's that kind of like conduit to, oh, this is what's going to happen here sort of thing. Yeah. He, this dude has a very similar sort of like, oh, I'm the, the messenger of, you know, sort of what's going to unfold. But he's, you know, more of an authority, obviously, than that character. In yeah. Days and night. Uh, but. The, the the entire the, so this was not one I had seen, and I remember. Oh yeah, what'd you think, dude? Just so completely in 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 when you mentioned this was a couple weeks ago when we first started this. But yeah, it was like twelve degrees every day for the uh for like a two week stretch, and I watched this over that that span, and it was like it's the perfect winter thing to watch. The uh the idea of that storm, you know, when we were in uh Outer Banks trying to flee a hurricane when we yeah. were doing our family vacation a few years ago. It was that same kind of thing. You got your locals that are like, it'll probably be fine. And others that are like, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to be safe. We're going to stock up. We're going to prep. And just that whole, like the way it feels there, the way it looks there, the, the, the cloud of the storm, uh, literally and figure, figuratively being a presence in this. I just, I, I truly enjoyed the absolute hell out of this uh, this whole experience, and it was really fun ride. Yeah, I could not believe that you hadn't seen it. Um, when we picked this topic, I for me, this was probably the first one I mentioned. Like, I'm doing Storm of the Century for sure. Yeah. Um, again, Tim Daly just kills it in this role. Uh, Jeffrey DeMunn from, everyone probably knows him from, uh, what's the fucking zombie show? Uh Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Everyone knows him from that first season of that. Uh, the dude who sits on top of his RV. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Colm Fior, who plays Andre Linoge. Dude, so, like, truly frightening. Like, he does, he just kills it. Again, for a TV miniseries, the acting in this, just so good. Uh, I feel like Tim Daly's wife in this, just, like, a beautiful, like, Molly is her name in the movie. Just, like, a sweet, awesome person. And yeah. It's like a great. What I love about this, though, is realistic character. <clears throat> the way that everyone kind of ends up turning on each other throughout, culminating in this end, where then you kind of, as a viewer, turn on. I find myself turning on people that I liked the whole time. Uh, at that end, yeah, dude. It's just like it's how it's how we manage adversity and trauma collectively like that's yes. what he's so good at and it's not the whole it's it's beyond just oh you're in a dystopian society and the result of being in this dystopian society is that this is how things are run or stories like the mist truly demonstrate 
looking at that interim period of like normal state to future state, what happened in between, that's what he'll focus on. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, the actual storm is here. The actual disruptors here. But also as that physical thing's happening outside, the internal t- turmoil of what we're all going through as a collective is happening simultaneously. And this is what it is. And that's what you're, you're viewing and interacting with. And it's just, it's so honest and that's what really creates fear. Yeah. And again, to your point, you have that, uh, Alton is very much like Leland or Andre Linoge is very much like Leland Gaunt where he comes in and turns the whole town against themselves and against each other. And, uh, that choice that he makes them make there at the end. Yeah. I yeah. find myself, it's like someone should hold me back too. When Tim Daly's like being held back, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. felt like emotionally, like I needed to be held back because I was, feel, I, I think I was yelling at the TV, like, shut up, you bitch. Like dude, <laughs> you don't even have a kid. Uh, and it, it, I just really felt like I was a part of that town having to make that You're decision. Like making a torch and your wife yeah, walks like, in. She's like, what duh, are you doing like throwing in the stones. living room? Yeah. yeah. But it it really, this one really connected with me. And I think as a parent, you can't help but feel what he's feeling there at the yeah, end. And, dude, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, we won't, we won't spoil the, the entirety of it. But and then you, the end end, when he's wrapping it up and he's telling what happened in the town and you find out that there's two specific people that get together, I was like, no, no effing way. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I love this movie. Storm of the Century, it's on Hulu. You yeah, have to watch Hulu. it. And if you're going to watch it, you do it now because it's winter. Uh, you will not regret it. Yeah, totally dug it. All right, man, I'm going to bring us home here. So our last film we're going to talk about is uh, not an unknown one, but this is the classic and some could say the thing that started it all. So we're going to go with Carrie from 1976. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. All right, so this came out November 16th of 76, as I mentioned. The book came out April 5th of 1974, so just two years prior. And though Stephen King had written a handful of books prior, this was the, Carrie was the first one he had published in 1976. Wow. So he was in his late 20s, probably 26, 27, 28, somewhere in that, in that range when this was, uh, when this, yeah. So you got to think and you're, you're right. You want to pursue a career as a writer. You got a handful of stuff you've been working on. You finally catch your big break and he sold, I think, or he was, I think he was either prepaid to write the story or sold the story. There was some sort of correlation here. I think it was like twenty five hundred dollars. He he mm. sold the or he movie made, rights to. I, I I don't know if it was on the rights or whatnot or gotcha. just the story. So he didn't make a ton of money on it. I guess is what I'm getting at. But if I'm 
starting my career as a writer in my late 20s and someone gives me 2500 bucks in 1976 1974 i'm like oh shit like i might as well just build my own castle right now yeah yeah so two years later though brian de palma is making your film Mm. granted scarface didn't happen yet right carlito's way didn't happen yet all of what made brian de palma brian de palma uh for the most dressed to kill body double yeah hadn't happened yet right so but this is a real human making a movie right like he's a real director so and you've got sissy spacek you've got piper laurie john freaking travolta in this Mm -hmm. uh amy irving and you've got this story this very upsetting story about a girl named carrie white who doesn't have any friends she's a pj souls forgot about pj pj souls is in this movie yep uh, and she's so we're following Carrie though, and she's got this really torrid, upsetting relationship with her mother, who's this like really domineering religious fanatic who uh essentially pushes Carrie to unleash her telekinetic power on pretty much everyone that's wronged her and her classmates, and this all culminates at the senior prom. So this I thought it would be really relevant to finish with this because this is kind of where it started for King. I thought it would be kind of cool to wrap it up with this, but this was also my first Stephen King book I ever read. Wow. And I remember distinctly, I went to Barnes and Noble in Youngstown with my aunt and I was probably like 11. And I remember she had always been a big reader and she was always like, Hey, you like scary stuff. I've been renting these movies that I hate. And I know that you love for the past, couple of years why don't you you know try your hand at some Stephen King and she must have known like hey this is somewhat of a short one it's his first book it's probably easiest to understand uh you should start here the first book I I bought I actually still have the copy uh over there on my bookshelf and I remember just being really upset by how the realistic parts of the like even the beginning of this book and the way King would describe Carrie and like her having acne and like the real the realistic things again that like typical storytellers won't talk about and things that people think about but don't say he was like no we're gonna hit this head on and that's what happens at the beginning of this story both in the book and in the movie Brian De Palma you know we're in the locker room we got everyone undressing doing their thing uh, but this this movie starts with blood. I don't mean to be gross and weird about it, but it starts with basically Carrie getting bullied like hell for starting her her period in the locker yeah. room, which is like just such an upsetting, the worst, horrible, realistic for anyone to go through this experience is just like it, it's it immobilizes me. And it's so sad to see and so upsetting to kind of feel unfold. So you're instantly, right now, you're like, well, I'm grounded in the horrifying reality of what could be high school, and this, these are real people, these are real kids, like, this, is, mm. this must be the reality, and then it's offset by this, this really dramatic response of basically the development and deployment of her telekinetic powers. So you're, 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 you have one leg stuck in this quicksand of, like, the reality of the world is horrifying, and then you have this other leg in quicksand of, like, Oh, but there are these telekinetic powers that could potentially exist. And the way this 
story is basically a cyclone of all of that developing and manifesting, developing, manifesting until the culmination is, is really the, you know, the prom. Uh, but I, I feel like you, you do, you empathize, you feel badly for Carrie. I think Sissy Spacek crushes it in this movie. Acting is excellent. The delivery's amazing. The relevance of, of all of this. And you just got to think being a, young guy in your late 20s you write a book you get 2500 bucks two years later this happens like that's so wild yeah Uh, and it really was the springboard to absolutely everything so uh i did check into how stephen king feels about this movie now and i was reading that he still still is fond of what brian de palma did that he was happy with the story, the way it was told, the depiction of, of, of his novel, but he did say it feels pretty dated, which like it absolutely is. It's a movie about high schoolers from the seventies. So I it's mean, pretty dated. <laughs> it's dated like any other movie that was made then is dated. You yeah. know what I mean? It doesn't feel like when you're watching prom night, it doesn't feel any different than that. Like scream is dated because it's a nineties film. You've got yeah. phones that have antennas, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm very fond of this movie. I actually remember the first time I rented it where I, where I rented it. Uh, I remember walking into my house with a VHS. I just finished the book and it was that whole, like, it was almost ceremonial of like, all right, I'm taking my consumption of horror very seriously kind of thing. And yeah, man, Carrie. I, I mean, this movie still holds up. I just watched it the other day. It's still so good. Yeah. So effective. Uh, and Sissy Spacek again, her and her mother, that relationship, they're so good. They Piper work Laurie, really well man. together. She just yeah, kills Piper it Laurie is so good. So good in Twin Our Peaks. Our girl from too. the faculty. Twin Peaks, the yeah. faculty. Yeah, she's been in. Yeah. She's been in a lot of she's stuff. She's a genre staple. And yeah. Um, yeah, the the way that you feel in this, I, again, I don't know if I was just emotional that day. I think I was yelling at the TV with this one. <laughs> Uh, because her and, uh, what's his name? Our buddy from house when they're up on stage, they want oh, yeah, prom yeah, king yeah. and prom queen. D- I couldn't help but think like if everybody clapped and then you walked off stage, like is what should happen that that wouldn't have happened. But like, it's like seven minutes of clapping and smiling and cheering and like, get the, the, the you're watching this like bucket just teeter. And you got this like crusty <gasps> ass, like this kid shouldn't even be here. Like what, what do you like the whole, all of it coming together? It, it feels as sinister as it is, you know, but he's not doing anything sinister. It's all driven by it's, it's, yeah. it's, you have this juxtaposition of people trying to do something nice. Right. Oh you, yeah. You're, you're saying the dude from house. I, yeah. I'm talking like uh John Travolta. Up oh in the my rafters, God. Like, yeah. Under the stage, her and him. Yeah. With the, like, get, get out of here, bud. And that and scene when he, like, give me the hammer and, like, goes and hits the pig. So I gross. hate it. And everyone's cheering. And, like, she's cheering. Oh, dude. Disgusting. Yeah. But th- this is that quick dive. Like, you can, you can see the evolution of Stephen King's springboard from this, you know? Yeah. You can see him doing that deep dive into the dark parts of people's personalities. And at this point, you know, as a per- he probably wrote this in his mid-20s, and he's like, all right, I'm a couple years removed from high school, and 
this was my reality for the past, you know, 10 years or whatever. And my reflection on that is, is this sort of thing. And it's just, you can see how this was part one of a gazillion of stories that he's written and will continue to write. So, yeah. Yeah. Nancy Allen kills it as the holy girl, you know, she's just a great mean girl. Just so, just so nasty uh, in this movie. Her and PJ souls are just like, ugh. You guys are the worst. It's like the worst form of person, you know? Yeah. Being like that. And the way that it ends. Ugh, man. I, I don't know. I dig the end. It's a heavy. The, yeah. The the movie for sure. All right. This was a daunting task. I, I feel like we, we only, got through it, but. The only thing I didn't mention, I forgot to mention, Storm in the Century was not based on an, a book. He never wrote a novel called Storm in the Century. He wrote this that screenplay originally for that. So I think oh. it might have been the only one of the only cases. Well yeah, that's part of why we wanted to highlight like Maximum Overdrive, for example, is not only a movie that we love, but also it's important to highlight because that was his directorial Correct. Yeah. You know, debut and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, I mean we could do this five more times. Uh, uh because there are enough there's movies. so many movies. <laughs> uh and if you like I found like a vulture list. And yeah. I think like two of ours were the last two on the list. Uh, but you could, you could have 600 different interpretations of the way that that list should look. So, Yeah, we'd be interested to hear everyone's thoughts. But uh, if you're interested, do check us out on Patreon. We've got a, a companion piece, as I mentioned. We're going to hit uh, some of our personal favorites, which will be more in line with a lot of the more traditional mainstream, you know, Stephen King that we all grew up watching yep. and loving. Uh, but. Check us out over there. Appreciate you guys hanging with us. A little bit of a long episode, but a lot to cover here because Stephen King is the king. So don't you know how else seen, to put it. Ever seen one of his books? Yeah. You know the longest book? What do you think? Is it it? No. It was a TV miniseries, though. The it's, the it's The Stand. Yes, sir. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Have you read The Stand? Have you? No. Did you watch the? I, I've not watched the new one. Uh, I watched the original one in bits yeah. and pieces. I really want to watch the new one. It's not streaming anywhere. I don't, I'm not going to rent it, you know. Yeah, that's one of those deals where it's like you just got to wait for it to get to you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it makes its way to me, I'll, I'll watch it gladly. Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that. Um, I read the book. I didn't watch any of anything, though. Yeah, yeah. But I am interested in checking out that new show, too. Once it makes its way to USA, you know, we'll just watch it. The new it. one, I think, is streaming on, like, something Paramount or something. But I, I don't know. I want to watch the original. You know, if I'm going to watch, I'm watch one. Yep. It's like Salem's on. I'm not watching the fucking Rob Lowe version. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for hanging with us, guys. This was fun. Uh, we hope you dig it. Drop some comments. Engage us. Uh, we appreciate y'all listening. And much more great content to come here in 2024. So we love y'all. See ya. <laughs>